We are so excited. (gasps) Beside ourselves with excitement for this one. We could just go out and cast some spells. That's how excited we are. (laughs) We're feeling inspired. Very inspired because today we are joined by the incredible witch, author, and I don't know what else, like the most magical human we've ever spoken to. Truly. Fio Gedeparma. And we first heard of Fio thanks to Allie Ward and Ologies on a two-parter that Allie did with Fio. And Corinne and I were like, we need to talk to Fio. We have to talk to them. Yeah. Yeah. So we did. So Fio was awoken as a witch at age 11, has founded multiple covens, has experienced so much within the world of witchcraft, has experiences and relationships with the Fae, just Mm -hmm. is an amazing mentor to a lot of other people within witchcraft and is also a bit of an expert when it comes to witchcraft and the history of it and how it interacts with the world today. And so, Fio, they're just an expert in their field. And so us as kind of like wannabe baby witches, we were like, well... Baby witches. Yeah. We were like, we have to talk to Fio because I think that we all ask ourselves and in this community of Two Girls, One Ghost, a lot of times we're like, how do we get into it? If we feel like we should be doing it, what are the first steps? Yeah. And Fio had a lot of those answers for us. Yeah. We talk about how to claim your power, how to begin. Fio gave us so many book recommendations, which we've included in the show notes. And Fio themselves has also authored so many texts. There's The Witch Belongs to the World, The Elements of Magic, and their newest book, Ecstatic Witchcraft, comes out in August. So we really hope you enjoy this episode, and we hope that you join Corinne and I on embracing our witchiness, our witchy sides. Mm -hmm. And in order to be a witch, it starts with claiming you are one. So here we are today, claiming tentatively that we are witches. (laughs) We are witches. And we are going to embark upon this path, which requires us to not only study it, but also to practice it. Yes. So please enjoy this episode with Fio Gidaparma on witchcraft. Hi, Theo. Hi. Thank you for joining us. We are so excited to talk to you. Corinne and I, there's so much to tell you and then so much to ask you because you have so much to share and so much wisdom to share. But first of all, Corinne and I, just a little context, we grew up with a lot of paranormal happenings in our lives, Mm -hmm. which is what led us to, one, led us to becoming friends. We started this podcast and kind of throughout the journey, we've really... I've had astral travel experiences. We've had a lot of things in our <laughs> lives that we've experienced. And we have we have like a coven and a lot of witches who listen to our podcast. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we feel a little bit fraudulent saying we are witches. Okay. Yeah. But it's we've found ourselves now on a journey to wanting to tap more into our spirituality and into, I guess, witchcraft or being mm-hmm. witches and wanting to feel like we own that and Mm -hmm. that it is actually fair and good for us to say. Right. And there are a lot of listeners who also feel that way. And so we're really excited to talk to you Mm -hmm. who you have so much knowledge and are a witch and so much experience. From such an early age Mm -hmm. too, Mm -hmm. that you really knew exactly. It sounds like who you were in terms of the direction you should go. 
with your practice. And so I guess we're hoping to absorb some of that knowledge and confidence (laughs) from you as well when dipping our toes into the subject. And I think also because it can feel a bit overwhelming and daunting to begin. So we'd love to, well, first, we'd love to hear your story Mm -hmm. and then get your advice and your opinion on how we can start. Okay, wow. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Do you just want me to go right for it? Tell everyone your background. Sure, yeah, okay. Well, as you indicated, it is true that I realized I was this witch being when I was about 11. And then when I was 12, I dedicated myself to it because that's the kind of person I am, I guess. I think a lot of people who are attracted to the craft young are very serious people and very like obsessive, maybe. (laughs) And so I (laughs) I was both serious and obsessed, you know, and this was in 19... 99 like there was just a lot going on in the media as well that was like very witchy and I would see Mm -hmm. myself in the books or the television series or the films there were aspects of what I was seeing that I knew intuitively even as an 11 and 12 year old had something to do with authentic witchcraft and on real magical practice like I could see it and I could feel it but I then started to read everything I could get my hands on Early on as well, in that period, there was an explosion of witchcraft kind of 101 books. I would say at the time, it was just what I was able to access was decidedly more American Wiccan. And what I mean by that is that I guess the Wiccan revival happened in Britain in the 1950s. But when it came to the States, it became Americanized in a particular way. And then certain books were coming out that either wanted to make it accessible and therefore stripped it or de- or maybe even decontextualized it a little of its more folky, gothic, even a little bit like some of the paranormal stuff that is actually in the craft, right? Mm-hmm. It kind of turned it more into this like religion, which it totally is for some people, but that was not what I was looking for. I was looking for witchcraft and you kind of know it when you find it uh, for different people. And there are, there are infinite witchcrafts. I don't want to say there's one monolithic one. Mm-hmm. And so I found my way through the study of books. But then I realized very quickly that you had to practice it. You couldn't just sit there and um, I couldn't just sit there and read things and look on the internet and print out spells right. and put, put them into a binder, which I did a lot of. <laughs> but I, di- I started doing the spells. I did a lot of spells as a teenager just to see if they would work, really. Do you remember your first spell? Yeah, I do. The first spell that I did was from a book called Spells, <laughs> which I still <laughs> which I <laughs> which I still have. It's actually by Matthew Green. I remember the I it's called Spells by Matthew Green. <laughs> it was a spell to make my sister's nightmares go away, and I remember I had to walk around Aww. the house rubbing like garlic cloves into mirrors. I remember that. <laughs> did yeah. it work? I think at the time it worked, but She has since then had, like, my sister's dreaming life is very lucid. Like, she has lucid dreams most of the time. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if that spell affected her. Because I'm like, why (laughs) do you get to have lucid dreams? She's like, oh, don't you get to, like, have complete agency and faculty in your dreams? Don't you just get to decide you eat what you eat in your dreams? I'm like, no, no, no. (laughs) Only you. (laughs) Wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Has she heard the rumor that you're not supposed to ask people or tell people in your dreams that you know you're dreaming? Because I've heard that. Oh, that's interesting. 
You know, I've never come across that ever. I think that's an interesting urban legend. That's what that sounds like <laughs> to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I'm sure you'll be the first to know if she ever encounters mm. anything like that. Mm. Okay. So you said that you realized you needed to practice rather mm-hmm. than just look at things in, in books. Yeah. So did you practice alone or is that when you kind of sought out advisors or a coven? Yeah, I immediately wanted to find people. Uh, um, mm-hmm. I practiced on my own, quote unquote, because witches are never alone. We're always with the spirits and the elements of life. But I practiced alone as a living human uh, for about a year. And then I encountered this little teen coven that had already been established. Um, we were all the same age, but it had <sighs> been going for a year. And so I just entered this coven, went through a very rudimentary initiation, right, that we probably extrapolated from books. But we learned a lot from each other. And then through that coven, I met these adult pagans and Wiccans and witches and occultists. And they were both interesting and repulsive (laughs) to me. (laughs) Didn't you become like their leader? Well, I was always a little bit Again, serious and obsessed. So I, I, and also I grew up with ritual and ceremony and most of them didn't. So I guess I had a ritual sensibility. And so I would just start running rituals and they would come and then they just would be like, now you're running all the rituals. So, (laughs) and this was, you know, I was in grade 10, 11, 12. And then, but when I left high school and I moved to a city, which um, is, Obviously, everything in Australia is on stolen Aboriginal land, but it's called Brisbane by colonial standards. But I moved there and I helped to found a coven there that pretty much changed the direction of my life uh, and still impacts me to this day. And that's where I went through what I class as my like very real witchcraft initiation. Mm. Yeah, that's where that happened. Is this coven still in existence? Uh, the coven, uh, that would depend on who you asked. Um, <laughs> I would say that a lot of us who descend from that coven call that the mother coven. It was called the coven of the wildwood. And that transformed into the wildwood tradition of witchcraft, which is um, an initiatory private tradition, as most witchcraft traditions are. And it has initiates in various continents. So so does that coven still exist? I guess you could say yes, but as as an initiatory tradition. Okay. Is that the initiation that you speak about and write about in your book, The Witch Belongs to the World? Sure, but I, I kind of talk about, I've been initiated in multiple traditions, but I guess for me, all of that is the same labyrinth of initiation. It just has different doors. And then witchcraft initiation, which we can talk about if you want. Obviously, I can't talk about details, but I can talk about feeling and I can talk about history. I can talk about why we do it. You know, you were mentioning before feeling maybe like, I think you used the word fraudulent. And I think the reality is witches are witches are witches. And, you know, people ask me this question, if you want to be a witch and you're thinking about it all the time and you're studying it and you're doing it, and then you claim it, you're a witch. That's the witchiest thing. There's no one out there who can possibly anoint you as a witch. All that we do in covens and initiatory houses or traditions is that we welcome a witch, someone who is already a witch, into our house, into our lineage. That's all that that is. And yes, it can empower someone. And yes, it can make someone a more skilled witch. Absolutely. Maybe a more knowledgeable witch. But you can do that any, you, you can do that in other ways too. 
So would you say the first step to becoming a witch is just saying, I want to become a witch and yeah, I'm a witch absolutely. and then start practicing and studying? I think so. I think when, you know, there was this um, very radical feminist organization called Women International Terrorist Conspiracy from Hell. This was in the States and it was like <laughs> W-I-T-C-H. And this was back in the 60s and 70s. These were women who were definitely drawing inspiration from the idea that witches were persecuted women of power and intelligence, which I think is one thread of truth. It's not the only thread of truth. And then they used to say that all you had to do, and maybe this also comes from Jujana Budapest, who's like a famous Dianic high priestess who's still alive. I think she lives in the Bay or, the, or LA. But she used to say that all you had to do was say, I'm a witch three times and mean it. And I do think that that is on some level, if you do that and you mean it, then you are kind of opening some doorway of perception within yourself. I think you are I think you are catalyzing mm. something, but then do you have the follow through? Will you, I've met so many people who go, oh yeah, I'm a little bit witchy or I, yeah, I'm a witch. And I think, yeah, maybe if you'd worked harder on it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I do think that it requires dedication and discipline. Absolutely. It is not just a summer activity, a winter activity, a, an autumn activity as the case may be for people mm -hmm. who celebrate Halloween. It is a whole thing. But what that means right. to each individual witch, obviously, is very personal. Yeah. It's kind of like with, you know, passions or if I say I'm a writer, but I don't actually write, mm. am I a writer? That is correct. That is a great analogy. Yeah. I feel like I'm relating a lot to those people who don't have the follow through. But <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, it's been just some confusion and maybe just like lack of me putting in the effort to understand what witchcraft is or could mm. be for me because I find myself having all these moments and these indications that mm. draw me to these topics. And it's been a mm -hmm. part of my life for a really long time. But on top of that, I tend to do things that just feel right. And then sometimes yeah. I start second guessing myself because I'm like, well, what if I'm appropriating a certain culture mm. or mm. what if this doesn't fit into one sect of witchcraft? Is this like, what am I even doing here? I have no clue. I'm just going off of my gut instinct. And then I start to mm. kind of spiral and second guess myself, imposter syndrome. <laughs> and then I kind of push it away from myself until it starts crawling back again. Sure. I think the gut instinct is the prime mover of the witch. However, there are other parts of, of it, right? And I think this is a great moment to talk about the triple soul, which is a really powerful understanding of the self as we relate to the cosmos. And this is a teaching in various witchcraft traditions. But the idea that we have like an animal soul or a fetch, which is also the dream walker, the one that moves through the dreams. Like, by the way, every human has this soul. It's not just witches. It's the one that can also, that witches and spirit workers can mindfully send out into the other world or send out to fly, which is where we get this idea that witches can fly. And that's the that's when you say gut instinct, that's what we would associate with the fetch, the the double, the fetch, mm. the animal soul. And then we have this middle soul, the shining body or the aura or the breath soul. Those are all words for the same soul. And this is the container. This soul helps us to develop self-reflection. This soul helps us to orient in this middle world, left from right, up from down, cup from TV, banister from curtain. And it helps us think in things and move in, in ways that we would say logical, practical, very in this middle earth plane. And then we have a 
what we call the God soul or the deep self or the holy daemon. And this is like a star soul. It is like the piece of you that is intrinsically, infinitely connected to the source of God herself in all things. It is the divine one who knows ourselves to be divine and is not blocked from that. And so every day I and many other witches like me, we go through this practice of aligning and singing those souls. Mm -hmm. In my main tradition, we have a whole series of other layers of that. So I would say to someone, and this is one of the first things I teach like an apprentice witch, and it's not just the alignment technique to align the three parts of the self. It's also more than that. It's about how are you a crossroads of multiple influences? How are you your ancestors of blood? How are you relating to the ancestors of the land who are still alive? How are you relating to the ancestors of magic and witchcraft and inspiration? We are always more than one thing. So yes, gut instinct is primal. It's necessary. It's the thing that starts us. And then we need to consider the history, the the law, how we relate to it, how we relate to it in this time and what is most relevant to our context, but never like trying Mm -hmm. to avoid throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And respecting, not necessarily engaging everything, but respecting everything as much as possible as we Mm -hmm. come into contact with it. But also always remembering that that inspiration, that divine gnosis or powerful knowledge, that intimate knowledge that each of us is accessing through the practice or through the surrender or through the instinct, that that is the teacher, that our connection to the God soul is the prime teaching method. It is great to have other living teachers because they can be raw, complex human examples of how magic or the craft or anything works. But it is also, they're there guiding and facilitating your access to the mystery. You know, they're helping to provoke and catalyze your access to the gods or the spirits or your own divinity. And that is the prime teacher. Mm. So again, even though it goes through all these levels of lore and training and legacy and da-da-da-da-da, I think as long as you're questioning, what is the nature of this practice? Where does it come from? How do I relate to it in this time? If it is a practice of a living culture that is being actively marginalized or oppressed by settler colonialism or capitalism or imperialism, then yeah, do I have a right to, to engage this publicly, privately, you know, et cetera, et cetera. All of those things are important filters. And I think all of those questions are important catalysts for spiritual learning okay yeah it's better to be asking those questions than not at all because then you're not connecting with all of that and the asking of the questions is also spiritual practice like it's not they're not different right right all right that's making me feel a little bit better about myself (laughs) yeah totally and my what i felt was quote unquote like failed journeys and restarting so if we were your apprentice witches how would you help us start our journey So I ask a lot of questions first, because everything that has already existed in your life is relevant. Mm -hmm. I think it's honestly bullshit if people make you just like, if a teacher or a mentor or a guide is not going to sit down and get to know you about your life and not ask you a bunch of questions about your life, I'm not sure what they're doing. That's probably just passing on their dogma and doctrine, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I, I get to know someone by sitting with them over many, many sessions And I asked them questions about what they were like as children. When did they first start perceiving otherworldly things or dreaming true or having access to the knowing or the sight? When did they start seeing spirits or perceiving spirits? Like things that we associate with witches, right? So I asked them all these Mm -hmm. questions. 
like and tell me what like folklore or myths or fairy tales really like shook you or woke you up so i'm trying to get this kind of stuff and then i'd ask questions that people might be thinking are more mundane but like tell me about your parents tell me about your family life tell me about the books you liked as a kid or the movies you like like all of this stuff is it easy for you to fall asleep is it how do you wake up like there's a lot of questions like this over months and months sometimes years Sometimes yeah. it takes years for a witch to like be like yes I will teach you. <laughs> mm. But there's a lot of questions and then there's a lot of giving of basic foundational technique and a lot of that is about listening to the land, listening to the ancestors and beginning to cultivate a practice of reverence. Like a lot of it's that to be honest. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting and I was reading your book specifically with like the demon work mm-hmm. and like spending time with the darker, I can't remember the specific phrasing, but that whole section of the book reminded me so much of like trauma work or like shadow work. I know a lot of people have talked about shadow work in the spiritual realm. And it was so interesting having recently done a lot of trauma work and like EMDR. And I felt very, a lot of similarities between those two. Mm. Yeah, I have very little experience with things like I've never had EMDR. Like I, I'm, I'm sure there are all these parallels and people tell me there are. And I have a strong feeling that that is because the tributaries of occult shadow stalking and demon work and psychotherapeutic and psychological frames are actually more connected than people think. So, so I, I think that's why that is the case. And it is true that a yeah. lot of like a lot of people who are in psychotherapy and in psychology I usually often especially the forerunners quite mystical and quite magically like they're drawn to that kind of thinking so Mm -hmm. I think a lot of those people probably were inspired by these alchemical models by models of shamanic catabasis or like breakdown and re uh, resurrection and honestly a lot of this stuff is just archetypical and by which I mean deeply profoundly true like primordially patterned, like absolutely true. I also feel like all of this is, it's very erotic and sensual and poetic. It's like a very beautiful, yeah, erotic study. I, you know, uh, <laughs> I hope people would understand that to be true. But I've been definitely my writing style has been critiqued in the witchcraft communities for being too poetic. But the thing is, I <laughs> I loved it. I love. Thank it. you. Yeah, people either people either love it or they loathe it. No, um, no, that that, that is actually <laughs> some, somewhat true. But I think the reality is, and this has been a mindful both choice and just style of my being. I've written like this since I can remember. It's just that there's no other way for me to communicate this kind of mystery. Like, it's just, mm. you know, I think it was Starhawk who, you know, Starhawk is a very influential witch and just influential activist in the world. And I think in the Spiral Dance, she says something like, poetry is the language of witchcraft, not theology. And that's just, I think that's just blatantly true because it's through poetry mm. that you can communicate these like mysteries. Yeah. It reminds me of spell books too. Like spell books right. are basically mm. just a book. It's a poetry book. Yes, you're right. That's in a true. Sense. 
You had mentioned that when you do speak to people who you're considering taking on in an apprenticeship, mm. that one of the things you ask is what they connected with, what the creatures or fairy mm. tales. Mm. And I feel like fairies were huge for me. And I just mm-hmm. loved all the stories of fairies and fae. And I think having our podcast for over six years now, we have a lot of both positive and negative experiences come into our inbox where people are attributing things to Faye. And mm. I know that you had mentioned in the episode you did with Allie Ward that mm. you work with the Faye. And so I was curious mm-hmm. what your experience is and if you could teach us a little bit more about that because <laughs> we don't know much. <laughs> yeah, look, the good people are, I always hesitate. It's very complex to talk about them mm. because generally they do not want to be talked about. So Mm. I have to kind of walk my way through this very mindfully. It is true that I have spirit familiars who are of those people. And if you look at historical records of witch trials, some of the most interesting witch trial records are accused witches who were definitely some form of cunning person or spirit worker or what we would today easily just say is a witch. And they had these familiars or familiar spirits who they said were fairies. And the traditional folkloric understanding of a fairy, at least in the Celtic countries and different European nations, and actually in even in my father's um, culture in Bali, like when I asked him about these beings as a kid, like based on what I knew about Celtic understandings, he was like, oh yeah, we have them. And then he told me all of this lore about them, which matched utterly the Celtic lore that I'd come across So the thing is, to put on these human kind of frames, these dualistic notions of are they good, are they bad, is ridiculous. It's just they're the other crowd, the other people. They have their own laws, their own court systems. In some cases, they have their own worlds. And they appear to be large, to be small. Sometimes they'll appear as some kind of animal and then Hmm. disappear, you know. So the thing is, they're not one thing. And when we say... You know, often traditionally we would say the good people or the people of peace as a reason we say things like that. The word fairy is actually, it originally comes from Latin fata. So like, like F-A-T-A, which is like fate. Hmm. So the idea of like a being who is so woven into fate as are witches. So, and the thing is that historically the fairy people and witches are very linked in some cases erotically. There is, there is quite a lot of stuff out there that is talking about the erotic relationship or at least the deeply intimate relationship between fairy familiars and witches. Have you read A Court of Thorn and Roses? No, I haven't. Is that is that like a novel? <laughs> oh, well, yeah, because I feel like lately there's just a bunch of series that are very much fairy, as you call it, like fairy smut. smut. Yeah, <laughs> fairy smut. Oh, okay. And it's like the fey human magical like intertwined relationships and i feel like ah. there's been a huge push for that in the zeitgeist lately so i don't know if you had heard of it you know that doesn't that doesn't surprise me because the thing is that that is true historically culturally mythically it is true that for centuries and millennia humans have been getting it on the spirits that is absolutely true i have personal experiences of such things and it is uh terrifying, wonderful, weird. It's all of the above. Fio, those are my absolute favorite stories to hear about. (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Very smart is a thing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You talked a lot about nature as being a part of kind of like the natural evolution of a practicing witch too. And I was just curious how the different elements or pieces of living things and animals can relate to someone's practice. Because two of the things that I think Sabrina and I experience without being practicing witches is I was I was a kid who would always talk to trees and hug trees and go yeah. into the woods and just like tell the trees everything. And mm. Sabrina feels very connected with water, you know, putting her feet mm. in the ocean, taking a shower. So she's mm. very, she gravitates to water. I gravitate more to like plants and trees. Mm. And I don't know, I guess I was just curious how, how that influences someone's direction in the world of witchcraft. Well, first of all, I want to say that everything is nature. Everything yeah. is natural. So that's kind of just the baseline. So then uh, in some traditions of witchcraft, uh, and not just witchcraft, in yoga, tantra, different forms of Christianity even, there's this idea of the elements of life, um, the classical elements or the um, Vedic elements. In, in Chinese uh, medicine, the elements are slightly different, but there's a five-element system there too. And so obviously that would be, maybe not obviously, but the classical elements are earth, air, fire, water, and something we either call ether or spirit or mystery, uh, the fifth element. Yeah, in a lot of forms of magic and witchcraft, we form relationships with those living intelligences because they are the bedrock of all the fabric of all existence, right? And so I guess some witches will feel, uh, I mean, just people, like, like if you start to talk about the elements, all people get the elements. That's the thing. That's why it's so accessible because people understand the wind and the water because yeah. actually I think most, I think all humans are naturally animistic. Like when you look at children, they are all naturally animistic, by which I mean they all naturally seem to understand and move through the world as a living, sensuous mess. And they are relating mm -hmm. to the plants, the dogs, the birds, the centipedes, the waterways as beings, as cousins, as relations. This is normal. This is normal. This is not weird at all in any kind of over-cultural sense. And so in a witchcraft sense, the elements of life, either they form the entire kind of framework of one's study, like certainly in the reclaiming tradition of witchcraft, which I'm also involved in, we teach something called the elements of magic, which I've also created a book about with my friend Jane Meredith and a number of other reclaiming writers. But, but in that we work through, like when someone takes that course, which is the introductory course to the tradition, we introduce them to the elements of life in ritual and magical ways, but also in very embedded ways. Like a lot of people in reclaiming are deeply involved in permaculture or like kind of anarchistic gardening and food production or are deeply involved in street politics and social justice. And so the way that reclaiming people look at elements is also deeply creative and often quite politically provocative. And so like a challenge might be to start your own compost and to start feeding that compost into your garden, or a challenge might be to go and understand what the water um, table is in your area, where the wells are, what the names of the rivers and the streams are, or to understand the creatures or the beings or the life systems of your bioregion and to study them, to watch the bird migrations, like all of that 
that is all going to enrich your life in general, but it is also going to hone hone your magic. Hmm. So you could extend this further. What would you say in your own personal practice is one part of witchcraft or part of your practice that you are personally working to grow? Yeah, I mean, a lot of that, to be honest, because I am not a gardener. I am not a permaculturist. I've done some street activism, but I'm not I'm not a rigorous street activist. So actually, you know, it's all of those aspects of, of the craft as I understand it, which some witches would be like, those aren't aspects of the craft. But in my communities, <laughs> they really are. And it's that kind of stuff that I feel like I need to grow. And I want to say that what I've been doing for the past 20 years is honing and refining the arts of community leadership and priestessing and the arts of mentoring and teaching witches. And that's where I've grown a lot of my skills. And that's where I offer because it is also true that we all collaborate. We can't all be Mm -hmm. excellent at everything. I'm not drawn to cooking and baking, but recently I have been doing more of re-remembering how magical that is and how you can really bake something or cook something and it can be this alchemical process that creates a spell. Like I've been doing that more lately. So it's actually kind of those things that is where I feel like I need to grow my edges, as we would say. Yeah, because I kind of went for, (laughs) when I was younger, I went for, I'm going to learn how to astral travel. I'm going to learn how to read tarot. I'm going to learn how to battle malevolent spirits. I'm going to learn how to conjure (laughs) angels. So I went fucking deep into occult arts very early. (laughs) I feel like that's where Corinne and I are right now. Yeah. Yeah. But then at the same time, I feel like, Sabrina, you're always baking and doing that sort of stuff. And I've found Mm. myself really gravitating towards kind of like that slower life of connecting with the garden and growing Mm. things and know way too many things about birds at this point. I thought it was unhealthy, but now it's making me feel better about my interest (laughs) in the local birds. So (laughs) I guess we're we're a mix. Yeah. I want to say to you both, it sounds like you have... It sounds like you're being respectfully tentative about claiming that you're witches, but it sounds to me like you're both doing a lot of things that if you just <laughs> if you just surrender and reflect, you might see all the connections and you might be like, ah. Oh. <laughs> and then it might be useful to you both to like, you know, I don't know if you've gone through any self-dedication, but that can be like, that was profound for me as a teenager to do that. And then it might be true that you study with, you know, established teachers and traditions, but you might not because the prime teachers are the elements, the gods, the ancestors, those are the teachers. Because we're a paranormal podcast, I feel like, and, you know, I do feel like a lot of people believe there's paranormal connections between witchcraft and spirits. Mm. How do you, do you find you have a connection to the spiritual world, a paranormal world? Have you had any experiences that you would like to share with us? Oh, God, I've had, look, witchcraft is otherworldly. It it is the conjuration of spirits. Like it is, that's what I kind of meant earlier by decontextualized or... Like there was this movement early on that made especially like Wicca into this religion and like where you just kind of believe in the God and the goddess and you do some like wheel of the year shit and you're like a witch. No, 
<laughs> witches are witches. Witches are witches. We see spirits. We fly. So yes, I have countless things. Most witches I know have had deeply paranormal experiences. I mean, I'll tell you one thing, and maybe this will be instructive about the about the Fey. So in 2008, I was um, traveling for nine weeks uh, with two witch friends of mine. And we were traveling mainly through Britain and Ireland, but we also traveled through Greece. And in Britain and Ireland, we were just in a car and we would stop and camp illegally, apparently. In Ireland, apparently, (laughs) it wasn't illegal. But in England, because it's England, it was. But we would just camp wherever the fuck we wanted in forests and valleys. And that was amazing. That period was deeply consolidating in my witchcraft practice. And so it was the first time I'd been to Britain and Ireland where my mother's ancestors are from. And I really, really wanted to do that, right? So we went to this place called Glastonbury Tor, which a lot of people would know about. It's um, a beautiful place. And it's also steeped in folklore and myth and legend, Arthurian legend, Christian legend, pagan legend. And Glastonbury Tor is said to be the home of Gwynapneath, who is like the king of the fairies there. Hmm. Anyway, so that's all going on. So it's a, it's very close to the September equinox. So in the Northern Hemisphere, that's the autumn equinox. But the daylight hours were still longer than the, um, I guess it was equaling out. But the days, the, the, I remember the sun was setting very late for me. And we were up in the middle of the tour in St. Michael's Tower and we were singing all these prayers and songs, the three of us. And then we started coming down and it was still light out, but it was becoming twilight-ish. We're walking down to where we had pitched our tent illegally in someone's apple orchard. And we were walking down (laughs) and I felt all of the hair on my back stand up and I felt this like powerful presence. And I turned around Mm. and there in front of me was this taller than me woman who was composed of shafts of violet light and she had antlers. Later I discovered, I went into the, I think it's called the Temple of the Goddess there. Later I discovered that this image that looked exactly like what I saw of a woman in violet clothes with antlers. I had never consciously seen a goddess with antlers. Usually they're male divinities. Yeah. But there are actually quite a few horned and antlered goddesses. But I saw her and I knew with every mote of my being in the way that sometimes you know these things, I knew that she was the Lady of Avalon. Because Glastonbury is also considered to be the site of Avalon, the Celtic or Welsh other world, or the, one of the entry points, right? And so I saw her and I knelt down and I uh, <laughs> stupidly promised her a few things, which later actually panned out. But I think what I did there, what I promised her and what I said to her really opened the gate for what happened next, which was utterly terrifying. So this part of the experience was <laughs> euphoric and amazing. And then so I get up and I turn around and my friends are nowhere to be seen. And there is like the, in Glastonbury Tor. So the Tor, there are no trees on the side of the Tor. There are on the bottom. So you can see everything around. But they, my friends were gone. Mm-hmm. I thought I was kneeling for like two minutes at most. They were gone. Uh, suddenly there was no um, source of light. There was no sun. There was no moon. Everything was green. And that was my first clue that I was in trouble. And then I started to walk and I could hear behind me what sounded like like a whole procession of people laughing and there were bells and I could hear and feel on the back of my neck the like a horse like doing that horse thing out of its nostrils. Ooh, they're like, oh, yeah. <sighs> yes. It was terrifying. It was so visceral. 
And I knew with every, again, with every mote of my being that if I turned around, I would be taken into fairy and that I would be gone and that my friends would find my dead, lifeless body on the side of the tour and that I would be in fairy, which is some people might be going, oh, how lovely. No, no, not. And so I, I didn't want to, uh, maybe you'd be in eternal pleasure, but then you'd kind of like wake up out of it and realize you were being held hostage. Like that's the thing, mm-hmm. right? Like the fairy people were known to abduct people. And that's interesting. Like you might want to like talk to someone later on in another episode about the interesting links of how fairy abductions became alien abductions. Like there's an interesting link there because once people stopped believing in fairies, their frame of reference was aliens anyway, but there's books written about that. Anyway, so I'm like running away and then suddenly there's all these lights going off, like blue, like balls of fire. That's what they looked like. And then I eventually Mm -hmm. I find the line of a fence and again there's no one around but I jump over the fence and I'm like where suddenly is every human so I can feel that I'm in more I'm in more of like an astral some people would say or other world I'm kind of between this world and the other world yeah they were trying to suck me in fully and then I get to the um the tent finally and I can hear these people in the tent there's enough light to see the tent and I can hear them and it sounds like they're talking underwater And then the tent unzips itself and nothing walks out. And then it zips itself back in front of me. And then at that point I lose it. And I start screaming the names of my friends really loudly. And these apple trees around the tent are vibrating and all of the apples are dropping. Oh my gosh. It's like an earthquake. And then my friends break through the tree line and they look as white as ghosts. And they're like, we thought the fairies took you. And they were serious. They're witches. They get it. They understand. And yeah. I was like, yeah, they nearly did. They they very nearly did. <laughs> so your screams and the dropping mm. apples make me think that you were like literally shattering that world. I think so. I think so. And I remember yeah. I have a distinct memory of like when I was screaming their names, like doing it magically. I remember conjuring a lot of mm-hmm. power because at this point I was like, if I don't witch myself out of this, like an average human actually at this point might just lose their mind. But I I do have the skills to get myself out of this. And I knew if I just really screamed with a lot of power, I had a feeling it would shatter the the whole glamour because the fairy people are very good at glamour and they're very good at making you think things and see things that are not technically there to kind of mislead you. How I passed through that, I don't think it was a test from their angle. Maybe it was. But I feel like I harvested a lot of magical strength by going through that process Hmm. because it was after that that I really started working with my fairy familiar. I had a lot of power-ups, quote, unquote, after that. (laughs) But, yeah, like I grew up in a house that was haunted too and everyone in that house knew that. Like we all saw things or felt things and strange things would Mm. happen. Like that was normal again. Like both my parents would would affirm and acknowledge that that was a thing. (laughs) That's good. That's one of the things that we talk about a lot within our community of the podcast is sometimes for certain people, the podcast and the community here are the only people that believe them in what they're experiencing. And there is something really lovely about having other people experience the same thing, even if it is confusing and startling at times to just have someone else to confirm like, yeah, I'm seeing and experiencing the exact same thing as you. Yeah. That's nice. And I guess in terms of covens, like you have a whole community who's that is right. supporting you. That's yeah. right. You mentioned the connection of fairies now being referred to as alien abductions. Mm. 
do you believe in aliens? Like, what it, what is your perspective on aliens and Bigfoot and cryptids mm. and things like that? You know, belief is a like when you just shifted that language to say, what is your perspective? I was like, oh, I can answer that. I, I do have a perspective on that. <laughs> I just want to, yeah, belief is interesting because it's like, I think that's, again, such a Protestant notion, right? Sure. But anyway, what do I experience as true? And like, what are the mm-hmm. patterns I observe? I have had one or two experiences that I would say probably connect to extraterrestrials, you know, so beings not from this planet, I guess. But I don't, I can't answer on top, like, what are they? I actually don't have an answer about that. I have more stronger responses to what is a God or what is an angel or what is a fair. I could, from the folklore in my experience, I can answer those a little more concretely. Like aliens, I don't know if I can answer that. But of course, I assume based on the infinite infinities of life that there are many, many, many life forms I'm intrigued by the fact that the way we portray, especially gray aliens, is actually more in common with how people might actually have seen the fairy people. (laughs) So like these kind of like um, insect bug eyes and the glowing skin and the long fingers is actually more like, again, there's this link with traditional cultures and how they um, experience the good people. So that's an interesting link to me cryptids and i'm like yeah cryptids go yes absolutely like (laughs) hell yeah (laughs) yeah and also i know some really i know people who are like the most grounded people and they have i have not seen a bigfoot i have not seen a yowie which is kind of like australia's bigfoot i have Mm -hmm. not seen hairy men have i been out in the bush and felt the presence of them yes like distinctly Mm. I know people who have seen them and I totally, it's not even that I believe them. I totally know these people and completely know that they experienced what they experienced. Yeah. Yeah. I have never been more happy to hear that response. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't necessarily expecting it, but... I'm a big uh, Bigfoot fan. I feel mm. like if I weren't podcasting and enjoyed travel and being in the middle of the woods without being scared more, I'd probably yeah. be in like a Bigfoot search in group. In a van searching <laughs> for Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah, like banging on cowbells yeah. and putting out like Skittles and being like, come here, come here, let's be friends. Yeah, because that would work. <laughs> Apparently they hate, <laughs> they hate sound. But I'm actually, where I currently am, I'm visiting some friends up near the Byron Bay part of Australia. There mm. are lots of sightings of hairy men and uh, yaoi's around here. Wow. Wow. Sounds yeah. like we need to take a trip to Byron Bay. Field trip. <laughs> the yeah. field trip. Get in our magic school bus and go straight to Byron Bay. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. I also loved, Fio, in your book, how honest you are about curses, because mm-hmm. I feel like, oh, Corinne and I often talk a lot about like, when it comes to us reading stories or doing research, we're like, you know, it's not worth cursing people or be nice and like, don't do anything <laughs> bad. But the real reality is like, we're human and there's this mm-hmm. duality to us of good and mm. bad. And we're not you know, whatever the version, there is no perfect. So well, we're complex. We're complex. We're, multiple. we're very, yeah. yeah. 
Right. So I liked that the dialogue about curses and that it, I think you said like it's bullshit that people say they don't curse or something like that. I, yeah. You probably said yeah, it's so is... much more beautiful and eloquently, but that made me want to know what curses you've done. Yeah, I've done curses. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't pretend not to. I try <laughs> to stay away from the idea. Like there are some people I know who indulge in petty curses. And I think yeah. if you're going to do petty things, you become a petty person. So no thanks. But mm. I think yeah. that cursing is an elegant art. And when you wield those powers for the sake of the oppressed or the persecuted, whether they're human or more than human or entire land systems, that that is noble. I actually think yeah. if you don't bind or curse as a witch, I kind of wonder what's the point. Mm. It's like one of the things we're most known for. Like if you close your eyes or not even close your eyes and you think, and just the average person thinks, what is a witch known for? They would probably think a few things. They think witches can do spells, witches talk to spirits and see spirits, witches curse people. Now, I know that a lot of early witchcraft revivalists in in Britain and the West were very kind of like, they were very white. Many of them were from the middle class or the or even the upper middle class. A, a lot of them were working class people. And they were quiet at the time about things like cursing. And they even said, oh, we don't do that. When we know for a fact they did. <laughs> we have direct evidence they did. But the way that the early witches were cursing were, was cursing like, cursing or binding or blasting or banishing the influence of the Nazis. That's a, that's a very powerful story. Um, The cone of power story from the Southern covens of British witches. Gerald Gardner was a big part of that, but I have cursed people. I think the first curse that I, I mean, honestly, I did my sister, I, (laughs) I, she knows this to be true. I, I will say this because she knows this to be true and she'd think it's funny now. I think, at the time, I don't think she... The she same found... sister that you tried to help? Yes. I don't, I don't think she'd... Um, <laughs> yes. I only have one sister. I, I don't think she'd find this too bad to say. But I used to get very annoyed <laughs> at her. And she, we were very mean to each other as teenagers. We were incredibly mean. We're much better now. But I remember once pointing at her <laughs> and with all my fury saying, I hope your toenails fall off. <laughs> the, anyway the very next day like the next day I remember this well she comes back and she goes I'm so pissed off at you today in soccer my toenails fell off when I kicked the ball oh yeah and by that time I'd had enough success with magic that I was like a little bit cocky and I was like well don't mess with me (laughs) but then I (laughs) yeah I remember another curse I did in year 12 where my house got egged and another out queer person's house got egged And I pretty much knew who did it and they were fully homophobic. I was so enraged by the fact that they had come and egged both of our houses. And actually when I realized, like my friend that rang me and was like, oh, my house was egged and I could see who it was. Like I ran out after them and like, you know, cursed them out. And then I went around to the corner of my house where my outdoor temple was, where I did a lot of my rituals. And that whole section was covered in egg slime. And I saw it all and I got... Like I filled with this like fury and I work with Hecate, who is this ancient Greek goddess of sorcery and liminal spaces and things like that. And she's very popular amongst modern witches. And she was present and she's an amazing cursor, let me tell you. And so I just <laughs> let her kind of cloak me. I let her kind of cover me with her presence. 
in what a lot of witches would say is kind of like a light form of aspecting or trance possession, which is a whole other art as well. And I filled with that power and then I just directed her fury at these three boys. I knew who they were, so I visualized their faces. Mm. And I just let it rip. And let me tell you that those, (laughs) yeah, some bad things happened to them. They're all still alive. (laughs) (laughs) They deserved it, though. No, they really did. They really did. Yeah. 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 I see your point of curses, yeah, using them to almost teach people a lesson. Yeah, because the thing is, like yeah, a lot of people- stand pe- up for yourself and for others who are oppressed. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, mainly I do curse. Actually, to be honest, that might be the only curse I ever did that felt like it was also on behalf of me. But the, the, mm. all the other curses have been on men who have uh, assaulted their partners. Well, I'm very glad you're doing that. Yeah. That's mainly the other curse work I've done. Wow. I feel like if there's one motivator for people yeah. to really step into their their witchiness, yeah. maybe this is this is it, the opportunity yeah. to also help other people in that situation. Oh yeah, it's actually a very um powerful thing to do, especially when you know those people have tried everything else. They've tried, yeah. you know, those they're usually women. Those women have tried everything else. They've tried to be civil and polite and everything that western society taught them to be. They've tried to be like placating you know, they then they've tried mm-hmm. to do legal things and they tried to do this, but so much is stacked against them. And then you remember, oh, I'm a witch. I can help my friend. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> You're a good friend to have. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> Glad we have your contact. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever felt like you've come in contact with a negative curse or something Mm. being put upon you or even, you know, friends or family. Have you ever been hexed? I have, yes. And what do you do? I have been hexed and I have had confirmation of who those people have been. Um, What Mm. I have done is I've just picked all of that up and thrown it right back at them with like a hundred times the force. Mm. Don't mess with me, fellas. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Like, don't. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. Like, like not talking to you two, obviously. <laughs> you ain't fellas. But yeah, just there, there are people who I know have done that. And those same people have tried it on other people I've known. And I just am like, good luck to you. <laughs> yeah. But it's just, you know, very petty. Those things are very petty. And very rarely do I come in contact with a curse. Though, so like, I, I work with a lot of clients who aren't at all magical practitioners. And they come to magical practitioners because... As you would come to an electrician or a plumber, you know, right? You come right. to people who have finesse or skill in those areas, hopefully. And very rarely do I come across like a curse launched by another practitioner. Maybe if I lived in the country where that is more common, I would. But in places like where, where I'm hanging around, usually the curses are more self-inflicted, to be honest. Interesting. Yeah. Like in terms of like negative self-thought? Sure. Like that would begin it or that would make it easier for those self-curses to last longer. Yeah. But mm-hmm. sometimes it's like a little bit of an, maybe an intergenerational affliction that becomes a curse because everyone in the family talks about it like it's a curse. That can just, that can, um, that can create the curse. I mean, right. it, it is also true that there is such a thing as ancestral curses. That is also true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Well, this actually brings up a question that, I know I've had, Corinne, you've had, and a lot of our listeners have had, is that today, witchcraft, there's thousands of books. There's thousands of people who claim to have 
medium abilities, psychic abilities, can oh, read yeah. your tarot, and then they, yep. you know, how do you weed out the, for a lack of a better word, the garbage? Like, how do you yeah. find... There are frauds, yeah. Yeah. And there are really good readers and there are mediocre readers. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah. I ask around. Again, it's the same as, again, let's go back to the plumber and electrician. There are plumbers and electricians who will fuck you over. Mm-hmm. So you ask around, you ask your community, you ask your friends. You're like, do you have a, the number of a good electrician? Like, that's the same thing. Do you, so therefore, do you have the number of a good medium? That's how you do it. You ask the people mm-hmm. you trust. And then if you're doing a little bit of research, go onto their website, go onto their social media and see how they talk about themselves or see, because you can kind of build a picture. If someone, I, I, this is my kind of theory. If someone is actually going to talk about and credit their teachers or talk a little bit about a, the, the context of what they do and why they do it, then I'm more inclined to respect them. If someone is like very much like, I am the top psychic of the blah, I'm like, ah, oh, no, not interested. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even if they are like a genuinely gifted medium, if they talk about themselves like that, I'm zero interested. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you have any book recommendations? as we're going to you as our expert, do you have any books that you would recommend aside from yours to get started, to start learning? About witchcraft? Yeah. Yes, I do. I think that people should also read the kind of the classics. And so I think that if people are serious, they definitely ought to read books by Doreen Valiente and Gerald Gardner even but with the caveat, not so much with Dorian Valiente, she's brilliant all the way, love her. But sometimes you have to give caveats to people like Gerald Gardner because he definitely was homophobic. He definitely mm. was like a colonialist. <laughs> Absolutely he was. And you can't ignore these things, but he was also deeply sure. instrumental. And so for history reasons, read his books. And then in terms of contemporary writers, Lee Morgan is a brilliant occult scholar and nonfiction and fiction writer of witchcraft. So I always recommend his books. Courtney Weber is a brilliant writer and thinker. I believe she lives in Oregon now, just outside of Portland. She's brilliant. God, there's actually just so many and I feel bad. Um, you can email them to us too. We yeah. could like create <laughs> okay, a list great. too. Because I, you know, I really do believe our listeners yeah. and Corinne and I <laughs> included would yeah. love to have a resource like that just to like refer back to to be like, oh, okay, mm. these are books that we could start with. Absolutely. A lot of people love Christopher Penzak's books. They're very accessible and practical. Matt Oren's books, accessible and practical. Like people really like that style of stuff too. Mm-hmm. It's probably more like kind of structural and yeah, like accessible language. Yeah. And then Jane Meredith, who I write books with, also writes uh, like less witchcraft, more like goddess centered work, but she's deeply involved in reclaiming, which is a witchcraft tradition. Her books are really solid and beautiful. She writes a lot of memoir in her books, which is just gorgeous mm. and uh mm. you know people really like i mean star like starhawk the thing is there's a lot of occult especially male occult thinkers and writers these days who are saying things that starhawk said in the 70s and 80s and <laughs> and a lot of people think starhawk is dead i like even some i'm like like i'm like no starhawk is very much alive <laughs> and she's still out there doing witchcraft and teaching permaculture in palestine like She's still out there doing some things as a 70-year-old that are wild and deeply (laughs) necessary. Yeah. So in 1979, she had this book come out called The Spiral Dance, which was like a watershed moment for kind of feminist and anarchistic witches. Because before that, books were coming out that were more like coming from the people who were initiates of like 
Gardnerian and Alexandrian Wicca, or from like other occult forms of the craft. And Starhawk had been initiated in a private tradition of witches, but she was able to, and what I love, she was able to create a book when she was in her 20s that is still a classic and is still beautiful. Like the older I get, and when I go back to the spiral dance, I'm like, wow, this is just poetry. This is just Mm. poetry. And it's also deeply, it's like a workbook. It's also deeply accessible. And it was deeply empowering to women who were realizing they might be witches or who were realizing that magic and witchcraft was a way to connect to their power as women in the world. And what Mm. I also love about Starhawk is that she has remained versatile and able to remain and be radically inclusive, you know? So she mm-hmm. hasn't she yeah. hasn't turned into like she's a cis woman, but she hasn't turned into a cis woman who loads trans women for some reason. Right. Right. Yeah. She, yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, unfortunately sometimes as people get older, it's harder to adapt yeah. their views. But that's awesome. That sounds like a must read. And then also, Fio, you have a book coming out. I have another book coming out, yeah. So I just had The Witch Belong to the World come out, which is my like most favorite book <laughs> and most personal. But then I have a book coming out in August, which is a revised edition of a book of mine that came out in 2012. And so it's called Mm. Ecstatic Witchcraft. And that book comes out through Crossed Crow Books in August. Yeah. I was so bummed. So I saw it on Amazon, but then it was like, pre-order now, like not available to August. And I was like, Mm. I want it now. (laughs) Yeah. I know. Sabrina sent me the link and was like, oh, counting down the days. We've got to order this. (laughs) Yeah. It has a really beautiful cover. (laughs) It does. It really does. <laughs> it's eye-catching for yeah. sure. Yeah. Where can people find you? What are resources that you recommend to people? Yeah, look, I'm on Instagram and I'm on, <laughs> I'm still on Facebook because I'm 35. Oh my God, <laughs> Facebook. Hey, we were the first ones to even get on Facebook, yeah, right? So yeah. you kind of have to keep it. That's right. And yeah, I have a website which has a bunch of things you know, theogedeparma.com, which I'm sure you'll include. So I don't feel like I need to spell that out to people. (laughs) But yeah, and then I have free like classes on my YouTube channel. I have a lot of free classes and free material for people. That's amazing. And, you know, I'm around the place doing things. I actually go to the States almost every year, obviously during the the three main years of COVID, even though the pandemic is still going on, I wasn't. But I usually go, I'm coming up in June and July this year, mainly to the West Coast. But I teach a lot in the States. Amazing. Yeah. So like I'm also offering courses online. Some of them are very open to beginners. Others are absolutely not. (laughs) And then I teach classes that are in person that, you know, go from things like transpossession and fallen angels to things like, yeah, elements of magic, which is like so accessible and so grounded. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for making yourself available for us to talk to you and learn a little bit more. It was so great to hear your stories. Mm-hmm. And I already feel, I mean, I'm still, I still feel a little bit like a fraud, but I feel a little bit closer to saying I'm a witch. <laughs> yeah, I actually respect it. <laughs> I feel motivated. Yeah. I respect your tentativeness, actually, because a lot of people just do say they're witches. And I, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, and, uh, yeah, and I think the tentativeness is is pretty respectful. I think what it indicates is that you respect that there's a whole world of witchcraft, 
Yeah. But I would say to you, yeah, like go out under the full moon on your own, bring some offerings, call to the powers of witchcraft in whichever form they come to you. And just if you're serious and then just say, like, I want to do this. And then your life will deeply change. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) You're going to be getting messages from us being like, oh, my God, what is happening? (laughs) That's right. That's correct. We'll visit you in the astral plane eventually. You're like, oh, you you really did it. You tapped in. (laughs) I'm sure. Well, it sounds like you two can already do it. It sounds like you two can already astral travel. So we're not in control of it, though. We've had experiences, but no, yeah, zero okay. control. Well, there is there yeah, are ways yeah. there are ways to do that. I yeah. actually think I have some. I think I do have a class online that is free that talks about how oh. to how to do that. All right, Sabrina, All right. do you want to have a little date? <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's to do watch it. this video. <laughs> Thank you so much, Fio. It was so great to meet you. Amazing. Thank you, Fio. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. Of course. Very spooky.